Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast, where we're seeking to engage you with the gospel of Jesus in order to grow in your own faith so that you can become better equipped to live it out and share it with others. I'm Erin Hesse, and I'm on staff at High Point Church, and I'm here with Senior Pastor Nick Gibson. Hey, guys. And um, today we're about two weeks removed from the 2016 election between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And... Um, in that election, Trump became the next president-elect. I don't know when these are going to be listened to, but maybe if in 100 years that's not known, then just to clarify that. Um, and it's been really clear over the past year that there's been a lot of um, tension that has really divided the country clearly um, from this. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard all types of different people saying that they wish that we could just have a do-over in the election. This, I mean, this was probably more this summer where... Like do-over, go back to the primaries. Yes. And reselect yeah. candidates. Yes, like totally, yeah, new slate. Yeah. And the reasons that I heard for that were varied. They were because of specific um, positions that the candidates were taking, but they were also just... Um, the reason was also just because of the divisiveness it was causing and um, just really how... Um, cruel. There were um, coming from both sides comments and um, just yeah, really how yeah you know, it was just revolting <laughs> how all the that kind of conversation was happening. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not sure that it is um, that this is as indicative of the candidates as it is of mm-hmm. us as a people, mm-hmm. though. That's true. Yes. Well, so even from that though, people mm-hmm. were still saying, yeah, well, let's blame it on the candidates and. Start a new slate and go from there. Um, and so you just recently wrote a blog that um, you wrote a couple on the election. And the yeah. most recent one was titled, What Do We Do After No-Win Elections? So can you explain what you meant by no-win in this case? Yeah. So before I answer that, I just think it, 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 it just sounds better. If you could refer to my dumb little blogs as essays, I think everybody <laughs> will be more impressed. Okay. But uh, what, so, yeah, so I actually had somebody write me and say, Look, uh, elections are by definition not no win. Mm-hmm. Somebody always wins, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the example I gave them for a no win election, as I said, imagine um, your football team is in the playoffs and your team is ahead by like 20 points with three minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. And then um, your quarterback gets hit and breaks their leg. Okay? So yeah. your team wins, but you lost. Sure. Because you're not going to win the next game. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there are ways in which you win. One of, one of the um, phrases people used to use a lot more was a pyrrhic victory. And it was because there, there was a certain battle, I think is in one of the Punic Wars, where um, one of the sides, I can't remember if it's the Greeks or Romans now, but one of the sides put all their troops forward and they won the battle. Mm-hmm. But they lost so many troops mm-hmm. that they lost the war. Sure. Because, yeah, they won that day, but... Their losses were so great. Yeah. And so there are lots of pyrrhic victories. There's lots of situations in which we win, but we lose. Sure. So those examples aren't paralleling what has happened. You're no. just saying it's an example of a no win. There are ways yeah. to lose-lose can mean literally nobody wins. Okay. Or it can mean you win, but you still lost. Mm-hmm. And so um, and in a, and one of the things I said in, in, the, uh, in the essay is that um, <laughs> when you have a system in which you have two groups of people that are as bitterly divided as they are. Mm-hmm. And the what is being won or lost in the competition is massively important to people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then what happens is is that everything when everything is won and lost in government and um, the winner wins everything and the loser loses everything and the choice is totally binary, then what you're going to get is you can only win by punching the other person in the mm-hmm. face. Mm-hmm. 
And our life together as a people in a nation doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. Wasn't supposed to be that way. I mean that theologically, but also wasn't supposed to be that way um, Americanly, mm-hmm. constitutionally. Sure. In fact, one of the one of the interesting things about this all is is that is the is the evolution of the word liberal, mm-hmm. right? The word the word liberal and conservative um, don't have meanings related to policies. Liberal meant for a few hundred years not trying to control other people. Mm-hmm. That's what it meant. Just meant if I'm liberal with you, I'm generous towards you. But what that means is is that I'm not going to try to control you. Sure. It didn't mean I was going to give you money. It just meant I'm going to stay out of your life and let you live your life. And you're going to let me live my life. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the American government was called a liberal government or a liberal democracy. Mm-hmm. It was a democracy and the majority ruled, but only a few things. Sure. Everything else was considered outside of the scope of government, untouchable by government, mm-hmm. because we're liberal. Mm-hmm. We don't try to control each other. And since government has the greatest means of control, because it has the guns and the armies and the laws mm-hmm. and the judicial system, the police and so on, you would never invoke government against your neighbor because we're liberal. I let you live your life and you live my What's happened is as the parties have divided, we've maintained our liberality in some things and not in others. Mm-hmm. So progressives tend to maintain their liberality in how we can express ourselves sexually, for sure. example. Yeah. Um, do whatever you want, mm-hmm. right? Or, or in some ways religiously, right? Whatever religion you want to be, whatever you want to do, however you want to define yourself, liberality, mm-hmm. right? Um, yet most of us spend most of our days working, Surprise, surprise, mm-hmm. right? Which means that we trade our life for our money. Mm-hmm. So people in the conservative things tend to say, listen, if your pursuit of happiness is bound up in your work, right, then economic freedom, the right to do what you want with your money, is actually absolutely fundamental to human freedom. And therefore, liberal would mean you don't tax me for what you want to do for you, Right. Right. And so um, the conservative understanding of liberality tends to be related to economic freedom because economic freedom stands behind most other kinds of freedom, Mm -hmm. according to them. So what's happened is instead of being a liberal country, as those parties have evolved, they have maintained their liberality in some things and not in others. Mm -hmm. Sure. So something that you did write was um, that as this process polarizes, um, as it naturally must. So that's interesting. So the... It being as you lose your liberality, as you become less liberal in the classical meaning, more the government controls more. Okay. Right? Sure. The more the more is controlled in government, the more that is won and lost in government. Mm-hmm. The more that is won and lost in government, the more contentious it is, the more it draws money for competition, the more it draws corrupt characters, mm-hmm. the more all these things begin to happen and the and it becomes a winner take all proposition. Sure. Okay. So so as it polarizes, the winning and losing become more frightening, more triggering, more terrorizing, and more disenfranchising for the losers. For the losers, and conversely, it becomes for the winners, or it becomes more emboldening for self-affirming, um, or more self-affirming and more advantageous for the winners, who are often perfectly ungracious in their winning. And so, like you said, as as we polarize, as we um, begin to, I mean, it was I don't remember what the percentages were exactly, like forty-eight. Point to forty-eight point seven. I mean, we're mm-hmm. very divided. Um, mm-hmm. We um, tend to radiate something when we are on either the losing or the winning side. And so, um, what is it? You know, as we talk as believers, because um, we are just as easily um, can easily fall into this as 
anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that we tend to radiate if we consider ourselves to be on the winning side? And then inversely, um, if we're on the losing side, what do we tend to radiate? Yeah, well, I mean, everybody believes they're on the right side of history, to use a hackneyed mm-hmm. phrase from the fascists, mm-hmm. right? That, it, you know, people don't remember that, so everybody uses that now, being on the right side of history. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the, the idea here is that when people win because they believe their position is morally superior, now, that they don't all say that, right? There are some groups that will say their position is morally superior, mm-hmm. and there's others that pretend they don't think that. Mm-hmm. But everybody believes in their view because they believe their view is better than another view, mm-hmm. right? And usually politically, people are pretty pretty serious about that if they're at all political, right? But um, politics in this country gets decided by people who aren't political, right? That means the, the great terrors of democracy are that a group that gets a fraction of 1% more than the other group controls everything, right? That's one of the biggest criticisms mm-hmm. of democracy. That's exactly what we're experiencing in the United States. Mm-hmm. Another criticism of democracy is, is that when you have broken factions, people who actually don't know what they're talking about decide elections. That's also true in America, right? Mm-hmm. The idea, I mean, I heard one one pundit say, and this, I thought this was funny, where he said, he said um, it always drives me nuts when you get two weeks from a presidential election and pollsters are still talking to undecided voters. He's like, I don't understand how after 18 months of concatenation and positioning and posturings and discussions and news reporting and all this, how it's it's in any sense possible that a human being could be undecided, mm-hmm. right? Um, it can only happen if you're just not paying any attention. You're just you're reading the baseball box scores, but you don't give a care about politics. Mm-hmm. That's who decides American elections. That's mm-hmm. another criticism of democracy. Why democracy is a terrible system of government, right? Most people know the Winston Churchill quote that democracy is a terrible system of government. It's just better than all the other options we know of at this time, right? <laughs> sure. And so you you get this sort of t- everybody knows it's a terrible system, right? Everybody knows it's crazy that the people who got forty eight point eight percent are now going to rule for four years mm-hmm. over the people who got forty eight point seven percent. Sure. And everybody's terrified that it'll flip the next time mm-hmm. if they're on the winning side because they know they won by a tenth of a percent, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. no, and nobody. You can say Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, but nobody was popular, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So nobody knows what's going to happen, and that keeps everybody terrified. It keeps everybody angry, and so mm-hmm. on. And so, if you think that you're right, it's what you want to. What you want to do is you want to project we're right, and we're going to be right. And this victory actually is indicative of future victories, and we're going to run the tables now. Mm-hmm. And then the losing, the losing group it always says something like, "You cheated, right? Mm-hmm. You lied. You misinformed. You mm-hmm. did something like this." And something else is on our side, right? So for mm-hmm. progressives, they're going to say, "Well, demographics is on our side. Immigration is on our side. Ultimately, we're going to beat you because there's going to be enough non-white babies, right? And then right. we'll win in the future." So ha ha ha. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody really knows what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what have you seen in terms of, like, char- like what actually comes out of their people's character? Yeah. Yeah, so we see people gloating, mm-hmm. and we see people who are hysterical. Hmm. Right? Those mm-hmm. are the two. And, um, and both are really ugly, mm-hmm. right? Both. So as Christians, we talk about um, whenever we have, whenever there's idolatry in us, there's something that we're hoping in for our salvation other than Jesus, that is always going to trigger in us reactions of pride and reactions of fear. Hmm. Right, our mm-hmm. two major forms of self-protection, and the expressions of our insecurities. Right, if you're yeah. not secure in Jesus, your Creator, you're not going to be secure. Mm-hmm. And so, when when you're idle, what, what makes you feel secure temporarily gets threatened. You're going to lash out in fear or pride. And so, if you win, you're still you're still insecure 
because you won by a tenth of a percent, right? Mm-hmm. And so naturally you're going to express pride and you're going to be like, yeah, we won, we do, right? And mm-hmm. people tend to be very ungracious mm-hmm. and they tend to not be compassionate about how the other people are feeling. And that's because we've spent a lot of time caricaturing the other side, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, I was at a multi-ethnicity conference this week and there was an African-American guy. He said, listen, I just can't find somebody who will talk to me about why anybody who's a Christian could possibly have voted for Trump. Like, there's all these advances. Like, it's all, I mean, all of this is about white people putting down black people, right? Now, that's that's really what he, now, this is an intelligent dude. Like, he was clearly well-educated, very Mm -hmm. articulate. I really liked him as Mm -hmm. a person. And yet, this was his understanding of the other, the quote, other side, the people who voted for Trump. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to lots of Republican voters who kind of look at people who vote for Clinton. They're like, how can you vote for the, like, you know, this corrupt Mm -hmm. and whatever person who Mm -hmm. has done nothing but try to amalgamate power. So part of it is just that, like, we are right and you're right. And on the other side, there is this, the human heart is always multiplying fears, right? It's Mm -hmm. always saying... It's, it's imagining a hundred different fears and it's assuming they're all going to come true. And it's amping up our sense of fear in order to evoke our response mm. from fear. Mm-hmm. And so that fear can come out in a lot of ways. And sometimes the fear can be combined with pride. So some of the protesting that's been done, some of them, it's just been peaceful protesting. People don't like Donald Trump and they don't want to be mean to immigrants or something. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly fine for them to say, hey, we're concerned about this. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a, that's a real fear. But when fear multiplies itself... And also is connected to pride. So my political view is right. We're afraid about what this person's going to do. Mm-hmm. So, and that can also lead to to erasing the moral boundaries. Mm-hmm. So you'd normally say, "Well, I can't behave in this way. That would be immoral." But if you're afraid enough, yeah. and you believe you're right enough, mm-hmm. that begins to take on its own sense of moral imperative, and you're willing to do things you wouldn't have been willing to do otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing you said was um, everyone, not you know, any particular side of any disagreement. Everyone is good at feeling self-justified and self-righteous. And that can come that can come into play um, on either, like in this case, of the winning or losing side. Right. Um, yeah. Right. And, and depending on which political philosophy you're more affected by mm-hmm. will change how you react. Mm-hmm. So people who are in that progressivist strain that's been affected very strongly by what's called the philosophies of radicalism, which really have their origins in Marxism and so on, but there's lots of forms of radicalism. Well, radicalism in most of its its forms from the 1800s forwards has been focused on uh, essentially moral philosophies that the ends justify the means. Mm-hmm. Whatever you have to do to get what, done what you need to get done, you can do, right? Mm-hmm. That is utterly and totally unchristian in the most broad possible sense. Mm-hmm. No Christian can be a radical in the sense of the radical schools, mm-hmm. right? Um, King was right. You can be radical. You can put your own flesh on the line. Sure. You can stand there and get beaten um, through loving passive resistance. That's perfectly Christian. Mm-hmm. But what you can't do is burn down other people's stores, and sure. you can't and you can't even demagogue other people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, on the conservative side, there tends to be this sense of like benign neglect, intentional obliviousness, mm-hmm. right? I have my own life because conservatives essentially want to be left alone, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so there's this kind of benign neglect, this sort of obli- in in the multicultural conference, people call it white obliviousness. Mm-hmm. Right. And and not taking personal interest in um, the impersonal dynamics of culture that everybody else is upset about. Mm-hmm. Right. You, so that you can be like, look, that's not my fault and it's not my problem. 
So there was a talk um, that Michael Emerson did at the multi-ethnic conference. And he talked about when he moved to, I think, an area of Texas. I think it was in Dallas, mm-hmm. Dallas or Houston, I can't remember. They, they said they wanted to live in a multi-ethnic neighborhood. There, he's a white professor, right? And he, but he researches on race, right? So he, he couldn't get the white, the white realtor to even show him houses, mm-hmm. so he got a black yeah. realtor. And so he bought this house in a small neighborhood um, where there were Vietnamese immigrants and some other Asian immigrants, and then there were some black families and some Latino families, and there were like four white families. And it was a brand new neighborhood, so people had just come in and bought these houses, mm-hmm. right? And over, so over time, the three white families left, mm-hmm. right? And by the time he sold his house... While other houses had gone up in value, like 140 percent, mm-hmm. his had gone down, and he and then he couldn't sell it in time, and so he took like a hundred and twenty-four thousand dollar hit on his house, yeah. selling it, yeah. and that's just economics. Like that's not anybody's fault, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But this is the reality of non-white communities, oftentimes in America. White people compete for those houses and bid the prices up really high. Mm-hmm. The non-white families can't buy their way in. They're, they end up in their own neighborhoods. And in those neighborhoods, the schools don't tend to be as well funded. Other things tend to happen so that they're not desirable communities, which means the prices fall right. rather than rise. And so white people think about buying houses to build wealth. And people who aren't white, buying a house can be a huge hit yeah. financially. And so that kind of thing, conservatives often will be like, yeah, that's just economics. That's mm-hmm. not my fault. Sure. If you want your house to rise in value, buy into a better neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We're all stretching, mm-hmm. right? There's a certain benign neglect. There's a certain obliviousness. There's a certain like I don't have to be concerned about you. Mm-hmm. That is part of sort of the you know the philosophy of conservatism, which in one sense is true. Just like in the fa- the fact that you should be interested in the lives of others is also true. Mm-hmm. But one can be radicalized. The other can become a form of like negligent neglect. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very different kind of political capture and sinning, right. but both have their versions. Yep. And so Christians have to be very, one of the biggest issues, any Christian who's at all politically interested, not becoming captured by the political mm-hmm. philosophy that's going to affect you in that party has to be, you have to be extraordinarily vigilant about it. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Um, Otherwise, politics will make a spiritual monster out of you. Hmm. Yes. And I think we have, and we have seen that as well. It begins to happen. So it's why it's good to be able to talk about it now and recognize it in ourselves. Um, yeah. It's easy to recognize in other people, especially if they oppose what we are. Um, so easy to recognize in yeah. other people. Yes. Yeah. So yes. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Um, Lloyd is uh, one of our pastors here, and he's going to talk a little bit about High Point Church Small Groups. This is Lloyd Biddle, and I am the pastor of small groups at High Point Church. And our, uh, what I want to do today is talk to you about our five small group purposes and then uh, give you a testimony, a real testimony from uh, Leo and Wendy Van Asten about their experiences in a High Point Church uh, small group. The first thing is that you're going to establish community. Our goal is for you to come together and become real spiritual friends where the issue is Jesus and the gospel and, and how you can serve him together. So we'll bring you together and have conversations and and help you establish real friends. Secondarily, we're going to help you grow spiritually. And so we will will have a sermon-based study for every time you get together with questions designed uh, to ask you how you're going to apply what you heard uh, in service that Sunday. Thirdly, we're going to bring you together for prayer. And you're going to pray about the things Jesus would pray about for you. 
your spiritual condition, your your the family, how you're being involved and how you're representing him in the world. You're going to pray for the things going on in the church. You're going to pray about things going on in the world. Um, these are the kinds of prayers that you will pray in community at a High Point Church small group. Fourthly, we're going to teach you how to be an everyday missionary uh, through coming to church on Sunday, through building you up in fellowship and small groups. Our goal is to launch you out into your community where you feel comfortable sharing Christ with your neighbor and praying with your neighbor about the things that are going on in their lives. And lastly, every small uh, High Point Church small group will serve in their community. The group will decide where they want to spend their times. Some people uh, serve in schools. Some people do food pantry work. Some just help their neighbors as they see needs. Um, but every quarter, we're going to share the love of Jesus with people, many of them who don't know Christ, and, and, and you will be Christ to them. Uh, lastly, what I want to do is share with you a little bit of a testimony from Leo and Wendy Van Aston about their experience in the High Point uh, group over the Onward series. In the past seven weeks, they say, the small group uh, developed into much more than just a group of people gathering to discuss a book and a sermon. It turned into a group of friends who gathered in fellowship. We built relationships that allowed us to lovingly challenge each other during discussion about the sermon and the book and also encouraged transparent and frank discussions. Then we separated for prayer, men downstairs and ladies upstairs. We were able to dig deeper into issues or of struggles, of family, of faith, and much more. Lord, this is, uh, Lord, this is something that we just never have uh, experienced before, where we got to a place of, of vulnerability and, and accountability. Uh, and this is the kind of experience that we would like to continue. So the testimony of, of Leo and Wendy is that these five things can be real when you come in, in fellowship on a regular basis and allow Christ to work among you. All right, welcome back. Um, today we're talking about um, how as Christians we are to respond to um, political climate like we're in right now um, where there is such a divide and we've been talking about um, first of all, recognizing what it is that we often can radiate if we are um, on either side, winning or losing, um, if you look at it that way, um, what um, uh, faults that we can have and even sins that we have um, in our hearts when we aren't careful um, mm -hmm. in this situation. And um, in Nick's essay, um, which you can find at HBC HBCMadison.com. Yes. Um, he gave, um, you gave five different um, really healthy responses that we should have um, as a church. And so it's not about either side to respond um, this way or that way, but um, that as a church, as Christians, um, if we are to follow Christ, this, these are really good ways to, to be able mm -hmm. to do that. Um, and so um, they were, one, know that Jesus is Lord and don't give into hysterics um, or haughtiness on the flip side of that, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, two, love your neighbor as yourself and empathize with their feelings. Three, be prepared to contradict your own side, um, especially if you're on the side of that one, because that is often easily overlooked. Four, make arguments and demand arguments once it is confirmed that people are physically safe. Mm -hmm. And then five is to um, actually be praying for President-elect Donald Trump in this situation. So yeah. um, for those who didn't get to um, read the blog, can you um, talk a little yeah. bit about each of those? Yeah, and I want to add to the... 
Well, I'll talk to that about that when I get to the fifth one. So okay. the first one, I'm really glad you added in how to this. We probably should go to the blog post and add that. But um, we are just we're just prone to this. If you won, you're going to be pro- prone to haughtiness or just like obliviousness. Like, yeah, we won. Great. Well, the people who lost are not feeling the same way as you. Right. Right. Um, the Packers have been losing this football season and it's a strange feeling for us Mm -hmm. because that we're used to the Packers winning 10 games or better Mm -hmm. and being in the playoffs and winning the division Mm -hmm. like of course everyone's thinking that right of course that's gonna be the case Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden this year we've got players that are as good as any year and then we're not Mm -hmm. like we're losing Mm -hmm. we have a losing record Mm -hmm. which is not normal and so you know I was watching with the Kyles last night Scott and Nicole Mm -hmm. Kyle and we're you know we're getting beat by the Redskins and I'm like Again, like again. Yeah. Now I'm, start, I'm trying to get demoralized, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just five losses, right? Mm-hmm. And people feel that way, mm-hmm. right? Other people, when your team beats them, other people don't go, "Oh, that's great, you guys won." Mm-hmm. They're like, "Ah, oh, we lost again." Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen now? And what's going to, right? Yeah. Um, and so you just have to realize that they, and so, and especially when, um, the attack feels very deeply personal. But the other side is going to get at something you can't, like the leopard that can't change his spots. Mm-hmm. And the person is like, I hate your spots. Like that's not, that's not something that you can do anything about. Right. And so for people who feel like President-elect Trump like hates immigrants, mm-hmm. like if you're an immigrant or there's any immigrants in your life or you care about them or serve them or whatever, you're going to be like, oh, man. Like, this is really bad. Right. And for people who are sensitive to that, they're going to hear the, the, the president-elect saying more than what he said or meaning more than what he meant. Mm-hmm. And people who didn't, there's a lot of people who voted for Trump, but people say, why would you do that when he said that about immigrants? They're like, oh, you know what he means, mm-hmm. right? Like, we need to crack down on, the, on those among immigrants that are coming over that shouldn't mm-hmm. be or so on, right? Sure. Whereas the people who are immigrants in this country, they heard Donald Trump saying even more than he really said. Mm-hmm. And and they keyed on certain things and believe that he meant those very literally, mm-hmm. even though everybody knows he's a bombast and nobody who's a bombast means everything exactly literally, right? And so I was with the pastor of our Latino church just mm-hmm. last night, I think it was, and he's like, he was talking about his stepson who has a green card, and he's like, Trump get, can't get him, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's how that's how they're feeling, yeah. is Trump is going to come after us. Mm-hmm. And so on one level, I need, you, you, want, you want to be like, okay, look, let's not all get hysterical, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and on another level, you want to make sure that people that people understand that if you if you're in the winter this time, so if you voted for Donald Trump, one of the first things Christians should say is, "Look, I'll turn around and protest him right. if he does certain things that you fear, mm-hmm. right? If he does certain things that you fear that are policy things that I actually disagree with you about, mm-hmm. then I'm kind of for that, and that's why I voted for him. Mm-hmm. But if like if he's gonna come and like." you know, do something horrifically bad with immigrants or something like that, then the Christians that voted for him, hopefully you're going to turn around and be like, look, don't do this. Right. Right. And so um, that's sometimes it's hard to stand against your party, but I, I believe Christians should always be ready mm-hmm. to stand apart from those that are accepted among mm-hmm. uh, on behalf of the people who are not accepted. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes can mean like disenfranchised minorities and stuff like that. But sometimes it can also mean the other 47 point whatever percent of the right. country. Right. Yes. If but but part for that's because Christians and this gets gets to the argument one. Mm-hmm. Um, Christians are always supposed to be motivated by the truth and not by power. Mm-hmm. Now, we have, all people have different levels of power, and that all is relevant, right? But 
Christians aren't supposed to think all power is bad or all power is good. Christians are supposed to believe that all power is, is responsibility mm-hmm. and power must be utilized virtuously. And therefore, power should function on the basis of rights, truth, goodness, and beauty, and not the pragmatics of what we can do. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to when it comes to that, that's why we need to care about the truth, which means we need to demand arguments. Mm-hmm. Which I, yeah, when I read that, I thought, like, that is... It takes a lot of time to, and like you said um, earlier in the podcast, I mean, people can go 18 months and still not decide um, really, really where exactly they stand. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's difficult. And so um, it's not something that you can just think, okay, I'll, I'll be able to figure out my argument just based on, you know, I mean, like the spirit will give me words or, you know, if I pray about it in the moment, then that'll be fine. And mm-hmm. um, of course that is a significant part. We need to be looking for the correct, you know, guidance right. in that, but you know, it's very easy to just whatever's on our social media feed or whatever it is that we're hearing the most on the radio, um, for that to um, infiltrate what our thoughts are, um, and, right. and not actually develop a full argument. Yeah, and, and the the big thing here is you have to demand arguments from your side, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. First, and so if yeah. your side says, "Well, aren't you going to be with me?" Our answer should be as Christians. Well, it depends on if you make a good argument mm-hmm. for it. I'm predisposed to be with you, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean I'm going to be, mm-hmm. right? And, and when it comes to our opponents, you just you can't let people demagogue, mm-hmm. whether your side or other. You, you just go, look, I'm not going to go with you because you're trying to make me feel bad right. or because you're threatening me. Right, which is often equated with the word argument. And so, like, people... Argu- yeah, being argumentative. Being, yes, mm-hmm. well, but people don't see that... People use the word argument in very poor ways. Right. I totally agree. Yes. So, so unfortunately, I mean, I can see people... You know, reading that you need to develop an argument and also demand it that 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 means that you're, um, right. like what you said, being coercive or pressuring. Yeah, and that's not what that's supposed to mean. It's yeah, fighting for our truth. culture of emotionalism has done something very mm-hmm. terrible to discourse, just talking with each other in our country, because what it's basically said is is that what we should do is you should tell your story and your truth, and I'll tell my story and my truth, and then something will happen, right? Or not? Or not? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. But we don't want to argue with each other. Mm-hmm. We don't. You know, I, I shouldn't say my truth is the truth. And you shouldn't say your truth is it. We should, mm-hmm. right? That is a horrible way mm-hmm. to interact with human beings because what's inside of you is inside of you, and I, I can't access it. And what's inside of me is inside of me. And I can't. That's why we. That's why human beings created language, mm-hmm. right? So we get what's inside of us out yeah. and share it, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I'm going to share with you what's inside of me, I need to make an argument. Mm-hmm. I need to say this is what I believe and this is why. This is what I'm perceiving, and this is why. This is what I'm feeling, and this is why. Mm-hmm. So, because my, I, if I tell you this is what it is, and you just have to accept it, then we're not, we're not sharing anything. Mm-hmm. We're not doing anything together. Right. I'm exerting power over you. But mm-hmm. if I say, look, I believe in choice schooling, or that we should only have public schools for these reasons, mm-hmm. I'm taking something out of me and putting it where the two of us can interact right. with it and negotiate it. And when that happens, we are really having a discussion, and that discussion can be based on truth rather than power. Because the minute mm-hmm. you don't make arguments anymore, you've put aside truth for power. Mm-hmm. And what do you think is going to happen when that happens? You're going to get demagoguing. You're yeah, going to get whoever's war. the loudest, yes, and whoever's the loudest or strongest in the best arena. manipulator mm-hmm. wins. Yeah. And you just can't. And sometimes that will make you very unpopular. Mm-hmm. Um, I have many stories personally about that. <laughs> Even in this, this last week, I was at the multi-ethnicity mm-hmm. conference. We were having a discussion on the use of power. Mm-hmm. And um, the lady who was leading it said, look, this is a, this is a, she didn't say it's a safe place. She said, this is, I want this to be about truth. I want to be honest with mm-hmm. each other. Right. She made this right. So this point where I was, I was honest, kind of honest about something. Because people were like, I wonder what, 
how you would make this kind of argument. I was like, oh, let me tell you. And I, so I told them. And when I did that, this young lady just burst into tears. Not the teacher. Not the teacher. Mm-hmm. There was a, a younger intern woman who was, who was not white. Mm-hmm. And she just burst into tears, mm-hmm. right? Now, if what I said, her response to what I said caused her to feel really sad, such that she couldn't control her emotions and she burst into tears, she should absolutely burst into tears. Mm-hmm. It's fine to cry. Mm-hmm. It's totally fine. And to the extent to which she burst into tears, it's utterly authentic and perfectly reasonable. And I care about the fact that she's crying. Mm-hmm. It is totally irrelevant to the argument, however. Mm-hmm. And if she wanted me to change my view because she burst into tears, then her crying is manipulative. And I'm not doing the truth any favors and I'm not doing her any favors Mm -hmm. or the church or the world or anybody any favors if I go, oh, you cried, so I don't believe this anymore. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we talked a little bit about the the first and fourth. And third a little bit. Mm -hmm. And for the third a little bit, yep, about how to... um, yeah, contradict your own side. Um, so can you talk a little bit um, more about uh, your second point that you made mm-hmm. about loving your neighbors yourself and empathizing with their feelings? How, how you can do that from either side? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the most important things is to empathize with some of these feelings is not the same thing as validating their argument. Mm-hmm. Okay, When somebody says, I have these feelings, I'm hurt, I'm angry, I'm upset, and if you cared about this, you would do what I'm asking you to do. Mm-hmm. That's manipulation. Yeah. Okay. Now, they may not know that's manipulation. They may just feel like if you really heard them and really understood them, then you'd respond. Mm-hmm. Because, what, of course, what they believe is true. Mm-hmm. If you're always in a difficult situation, whether you're a husband or a wife arguing with your spouse, mm-hmm. or you're having a political argument, you're always at a disadvantage when the other person is, makes that, conflates those two things and assumes mm-hmm. that the one involves the other. Right. I mean, I've, I've been in arguments with people and said, listen, me understanding your feelings is not the same thing as me conceding your point. Mm-hmm. Those are different. And if you think they're the same, that's that's a that's a fallacy. It's a mm-hmm. confusion, right? It's hard to say that to somebody when they're in tears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you have to. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you just go, I really hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but when people push for you to do something, then they're manipulating you. But what this means is, is that you can empathize with somebody without legitimizing why they're feeling that way. So you can think they're being hysterical. You can think that their fears will never be realized. Mm-hmm. But that's a basis of perception. We don't know whose fears are going to be realized right. and whose fears aren't going to be realized. Yeah, yeah. But you can hate you can hate the situation. Mm-hmm. You can hate the game. You can say, look, I hate that the elections are winner take all. I hate that we're all so involved, that the federal government is now so all-powerful, that we all have to be so involved in it, and we really have to care. Right? I wish we could have these elections and that nobody would care at all. That it would be utterly irrelevant. The government's going to come build some roads or make sure we don't get invaded. Right. But they're going to leave us alone. So who cares, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe we, I voted for, you could vote for Taft or something, you know? <laughs> um, and so you can hate that, that reality. You can hate that it's winner take all. And you, can, and you can empathize with how people feel and what they, what they fear mm-hmm. without saying, oh, yeah, I should have voted like you. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so I, th- and I think sometimes saying, look, uh, I'm recognizing like number Number three, that, look, I'm ready to contradict my side even if we won. Mm-hmm. If they do some of the things that you fear. And a lot of other people are, are going to do that too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can bring comfort. But you should just, you can be, I, I've talked with a bunch of immigrants since the election. I didn't vote like a lot of them voted. Mm-hmm. And yet I can really empathize with their views, their fears, mm-hmm. their hopes, their concerns. And I can still help them accomplish some of the stuff we're trying to accomplish together. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Do you think it's fair? Is it the same language that you use if you're, um, like, when I think about the idea of empathizing with someone else's feelings, it's often the person that, if you're empathizing, that means that the other person is downtrodden in some way. And so Mm -hmm. is there a, like, if you are on the side that is, that the world would consider losing, is it still possible to use the word empathize, like empathize with the winning side? Um, Or is it a different um, type of understanding? Um, Generally, empathy is understood to be um, feeling, really feeling what the other person is feeling Mm -hmm. um, because you have a, a personal sense of shared experience. In that sense, if you're politically committed, you should understand because most of us are old enough to remember losing, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And so if you're a Republican and you just vote for Trump and you just won, man, you should know from the last eight years what it feels like to be on the losing side. And you should you should really know how that feels, not just thinking, mm-hmm. oh, we need to do this, but like you should remember what you felt when you heard Obama's going to be the next president. Mm-hmm. And to be like, if you felt like that was a bad thing, you're like, oh, this is going to ruin the country, like a lot of people said, mm-hmm. right? You should then realize that's exactly what people are thinking now that Trump is one. And so if you're on the losing end, um, then you need to realize what you felt like when you won last. Mm-hmm. You know, like when Romney didn't beat President Obama last in the last four years. Or at the, and you were like, oh, we won. And you were looking at other people like, you should, you should realize that you were carefree and you were so happy and you thought the country was finally going to go in a good direction. Mm-hmm. Look, that's what, the, that's what the Trump voters feel like. Mm-hmm. They may not like him as a candidate, but they think we're going to have a good economy. Sure. We're going to get good justices on the courts. Or, you know, he's going to make appointments that are going to put America first. And mm-hmm. America's going to be great again. It's going to be good. Mm-hmm. That's how they're, they're not like, hey, we're going to hurt black people. Or we're going to, you know, we're going to really stick it to the immigrants. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, we're going to have some rule of law. We're, right? That's how they feel. Mm-hmm. They don't hate you, most of them. Right. right. Most of them just think the country should go on a more conservative, more constitutional, more... Uh, less regulation, less tax kind of direction, mm-hmm. and that will make for a healthier society. Sure. Yeah. Or I, they yeah. just didn't like Mrs. Clinton. Right. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. Yep. Um, and those conversations can't be had if there is either haughtiness or right. Um, right. hysterics. Right. And if, you, if you're trying to do that, you'll get to a more objective place. And like mm-hmm. anybody who's in a moderately objective place can recognize why somebody might not like Mr. Trump mm-hmm. and why somebody might not like... Um, Secretary Clinton. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, most people recognize that there's plenty to dislike. Sure. Yeah. And so, if you didn't think and and to object about, mm-hmm. there were things that were very objectionable about Mr. Trump. Mm-hmm. Things very objectionable about so, Se- Secretary Clinton. Mm-hmm. So the idea that some people chose one rather than the other is not particularly mystifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that. La- I mean, the last point that you made is that um, at this point. Um, as Christians, no matter where you stood before November 8th um, or where you stand now, that we can be mm-hmm. praying for um, President-elect Trump. Um, yeah. yeah, talk about that. Yeah, I actually got a, uh, an email from a former pastor of High Point who didn't like the no-win election because mm-hmm. people win elections. And, and that, per, that, that gentleman's point was, he said, because it's your job now as a pastor to tell the flock of God that this is now, this man is now the governing authority you are to accept him as your president mm-hmm. and you are to pray for him. Mm-hmm. That he would act in righteousness and justice. He would do what was right and so on. Um, just just like the early Christians in the book of Romans had to vote, had to, had not to vote for, but had to pray for mm-hmm. Nero. Mm-hmm. Like, 
um, Paul was unequivocal that the governing authorities are a grace of God. Anarchy is worse, right? Mm-hmm. And whoever is is in governing authority, you should pray for. And one of the things that we should pray for, like it says in First Timothy chapter two, is that the government would leave us alone. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a biblical argument for conservatism, right? There's biblical arguments for liberalism mm-hmm. too, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the biblical arguments, conservative biblical arguments, is pray for the government and that the government would leave us alone, right? Mm-hmm. So we could live quiet lives in all godliness, right? Right. And in that context, Paul said, even if you have a bad government, if they will leave you alone enough, that the gospel can grow mm-hmm. and you can live godly lives and you can love your neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so whatever your political position is, um, president Trump is elect Trump is going to be the president. Mm-hmm. Um, he will be our president as long as he's alive or over the next four years. Mm-hmm. And um, it's our job to pray for him like we pray for any governing authority, mm-hmm. right? And that's not only true for him; it's true for the for both our state legislatures and our national legislatures. One of the things that makes people more concerned about Trump, President Trump, than otherwise is because he has both houses of Congress. Mm-hmm. That's why people were much more afraid of President Obama in his first term. Than in his second term. Yeah. Because in his first term, he had both houses of Congress. And that's when we got legislation that people who didn't like him really don't like. Right. Right. Like the health care law. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people are really concerned about that with Mr. Trump. Not just that he's president, but that the Senate and the House of Representatives are under their control. Mm-hmm. And so um, that is a definition for the, that is a a petri dish for the abuse of power. Mm-hmm. That, that you've got a tenth of a percent, right? Mm-hmm. But you have all the power. Right. What, what do you do? What kind of person are you? What do you do when you have all the power? Right. Yeah. And anything could happen yeah. because um, when the Democrats had all the power, they did most all what they could do. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that the Republicans are going to do the same sure. to try to move it back the other way. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of all that, we're going to have to figure out how to love each other. But it's still our job to pray for and support in a moral sense. The governing authorities. Right, yeah. Um, the way that you ended your essay was that, you know, you talked about that we need to be captivated by the kingdom of God. And so as we are um, in prayer, as we're in conversations um, and developing true arguments of truth um, from wherever we're coming from, um, to really have um, the kingdom of God in mind, which, you know, we just came off of um, a series called Onward, where we talked about this more in depth um, for seven yeah. weeks. Um you said that being captivated by the kingdom of God means um, being either meek and gentle in our victory over um, well those who um, lose, or um, virtuous and patient when our views are defeated. Um, so, how I mean, how have you been able to, in your own life, Nick, um, be able to be captivated um, by the kingdom of God? Like practically, what does that mean? What, what that does that mean for us? Yeah, I, I, gener- I generally think that, especially with the way our media technology is right now, mm-hmm. that if you aren't, um, if you aren't in like sort of deeply captivated by the kingdom of God and by Christ Himself mm-hmm. and by the message of the gospel, you are, and you're political at all, you care politically mm-hmm. at all, you're you will be captured by the political movement and ideology that you're closest to. Mm-hmm. That's true for both Democrats and Republicans. Um, and to a certain extent, it's fine to have a political philosophy and a, therefore a political ideology. That's not in and of itself bad. Mm-hmm. Um, prudence dictates that we would think one thing is better than another, right? Right. And so um, you might think that smaller governments and, and manageable budgets and stuff like that and the rule of law and 
and the liberal principle of not messing with people, leaving people alone, therefore a small government is wise mm -hmm. and prudent, and therefore we should do it. That's a political philosophy. And you might believe the opposite if you're a progressive, that certain injustices cannot be undone without um, movement on the highest level and mm -hmm. by control in the federal system. And so we have to do that, and that's the best way, right? You can either one of those and be a Christian. Mm -hmm. But if you are captured by the beauty of the gospel, right, yeah. then ultimately that will sit in judgment on your political ideology. Mm. And where your political ideology doesn't fit with the gospel, you won't think so much the worse for the gospel. Mm. You'll think so much the worse for my political ideology. Mm. And your political ideology will be, will be chastened, mm. right? And that's incredibly important. And, and, and that's true everywhere in our whole lives. People who aren't politically interested, it's the same thing. If you're mm -hmm. not captured by the vision of the kingdom and by Jesus and by the gospel, you'll be captured by worshiping sports yes, or yeah. by worshiping your health or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but w since we're talking about politics, mm -hmm. it's just as true about politics as anything else. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that it's a little sli it's slightly more true of progressivist politics simply because the state is the ultimate historically mm -hmm. in the progressivist movements. And so if you are a liberal who is also a progressive, so you can be a liberal and not be a progressive. Mm -hmm. If you're a liberal who is a progressive, you have to be even more careful because the state is like God in the progressivist sure. ideology, um, whereas it, it isn't in the Burkean conservativist, mm -hmm. that kind of thing, or in even a liberal, you can be a liberal Democrat and still not be pulled into that. Sure. So statism is, is an alternate religion, and it intentionally competes. I mean, Marx said that his ideology of statism was intended to compete with religion mm -hmm. and had to defeat religion, and that religion was the greatest, um, the greatest uh, enemy of, of the statist view mm. because it, it, did, it upheld two impossible institutions for the state to overcome. One is the church and religion. That if the human soul is free, it can't be controlled by the government. And religion tended to profoundly upheld, uphold the family. Mm. Well, the family is a counter kingdom. Sure. A husband yeah. and wife make a family and they believe that they're, they're, they have a sovereignty, right? Marx mm. believed that children should belong to the government, right? The, uh, the, the socialists of, of Britain believe that as well. Ultimately, we had to get to a place where you have a child, but the child then belongs to the government, mm -hmm. right? And these folks believe that that was a horrible idea, right? You, you no, know, they believe that was a good idea. They believe that the idea that a family, like, that you and your husband would, in a sense, own your child. Mm -hmm. Like that he would be yours or she yeah. would be your child sure. and not the state's child. Mm -hmm. That's a terrible idea. And religion, of course, keeps telling families that's right. Mm -hmm that they should form families, that they should marry, that they should stay together, and they should make these counter kingdoms that stand against the, the kingdom of the state. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, those ideologies are, are in a sense more captivating and more corrosive to the mm -hmm. gospel in certain forms. Sure. Um, and that's really important to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. and, and dealing with envy as opposed to greed, mm -hmm. right? Conservatives are accused of having the, supporting the vice of greed. Mm -hmm. And progressives and liberals are accused of supporting the idea of vice. Like, mm. I want what you have, mm -hmm. not just I want more. Well, in certain ways, envy is a broader vice because it includes greed, mm -hmm. but it takes greed to a level of violence, mm -hmm. right? you got to be, in some ways, you got to be careful on another level with that. Yeah. Now, it might just be that the solution lives in more dangerous waters, mm. right? A Christian Democrat could say, no, I agree with that. I agree that the real solution for poverty and difficulty and pain in the world just 
is right, and I, but it lives in more dangerous waters. Mm-hmm. The, the dangers are envy, the dangers are statism, sure. and an anti-religion. Yeah. But the, the truth is also there, too. And I have to be even more careful than my brothers and sisters in a conservative navigate that. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Yeah. But it is more dangerous, I think, ideologically. But in either way, no matter whether it's politics, sports, family, health, diet, whatever mm-hmm. it is, if you are not captivated by the gospel of Christ, by Christ himself, and by the kingdom of that Christ... You will be captured by something else. Those things the Bible calls idols. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You will defend them with your pride and fear. Mm -hmm. And they will grow your insecurity. Mm -hmm. And you will not be able to love your neighbor or empathize with them. You will grow hysterical or haughty. Mm -hmm. You won't be willing to pray for the person if you don't think they're your person. Mm -hmm. Um, You won't stand against your own party, Mm -hmm. whatever, however you imagine the party spirit. You won't be able to stand against your own party to do what you believe is right. And you will always demagogue and emotionally attack the people around you instead of offering them a true argument Mm -hmm. that comes from you that they could shoot down or evaluate because you will never be vulnerable like that because you will be insecure. Mm -hmm. And so you'll you'll just tell your story or you'll tell your truth and you'll expect them to just accept it. Mm -hmm. But in so doing, you'll be giving yourself to power Mm -hmm. because you're not giving yourself to truth. And idolatry always produces that. And the only cure for that idolatry and the insecurity that it breeds is to be captivated by something Mm -hmm. that can make you ultimately secure, Mm -hmm. which is only the Christ who created you, the gospel that he has preached to you, and the kingdom that he's made for you. Yeah. It's not um, easy um, as a Christian to live like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is... Like it's absolutely true that that is essential in order to be um, to be different and to actually live according to um, what Christ has called us to. And mm-hmm. um, I'm, you know, not at all excited about the the turmoil that there is, but the fact that there is this is a platform for Christians to be able to take a different type of stance, not the um, the hysteria or the haughtiness or the um, or neglect of having any sort of opinion at all, um, where we can actually. Um, be intentional that we need to um, actually have our skin in the game a little bit in terms of conversation and relationships with people mm-hmm. um, talking about this stuff. It's it's scary, but it's good and it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the good news is you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. We are going to get captured at certain points. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why other Christians are there to be like, hey, you're, sound, yeah. you're sounding more like you're of... Of the donkey or the elephant sure. than of the Christ, sure. right? Of the lamb, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed, and then when that happens, you don't go, well, I'm just a big, you go like, oh, you're right. Sure. And then you repent and believe. Mm-hmm. You say, God, I've been, I think I've been captured by this. Will you set me free? Will you help me see the way I should mm-hmm. see it? And will you help me see the kingdom of the lamb first before I see the philosophies of the Democrats or the Republicans? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think that also it leads us to a place of diversity where we believe that both of these groups have insights, right? Like I always try to, I'm always trying to proceed that my own arrogance is going to lead me to believe that my party believes the other side doesn't have insights. And so I'm trying to constantly interact with that side because I know that even though I believe in my political philosophy and I believe in the directions of prudence that it dictates in terms of policies and actions, Mm -hmm. listen, when I sit down and talk to the other side, I always find insights that I don't hear in my own media streams and I don't hear when, when I listen to my own, the podcasts of people on my side. Mm-hmm. And I find those really enriching. Mm-hmm. And I find that I can build trust with certain people. And then I can also tell them when I feel like they're being captured. Yeah. yeah. You know, can I give you a quick example? Let me give you just a really quick mm-hmm. example. So I, I, have, a, I have a relationship with a, with a super 
um, progressive guy and uh, the council for Wisconsin Council for Children and mm-hmm. Families. And he and I was talking about whether or not he thought the Ryan plan was a good plan in terms of like um, making welfare so that you're you slowly wean off of it as you hit certain income levels, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, "Oh, it's already like that." And he sent me this article that said that um, it already pays to work in our social safety net, right? The more you make, the more you get, right? Mm-hmm. Well, here's here's what I found out because I. I'm trying not to be captured by either side. Mm-hmm. One, I read the article, every word of it, right? And I outlined it. I wrote the margins of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I took it seriously. Mm-hmm. But then I also know the Ryan plan because I've read that as well, right? Because mm-hmm. I wanted to see if that was a real way to help people in poverty. Well, here's the thing. Though the, the liberal article basically said up to $25,000, it pays to work. Okay, here's mm-hmm. what the Ryan plan says. At $27,000, it no longer pays to work as you increase mm-hmm. up the pay scale. At that point, you start losing money. So what I found is actually these two people are talking past each other, mm-hmm. right? One article is concerned on up to $25,000 because yeah. it only imagines poor people working minimum wage jobs. But minimum wage people, when they work somewhere, they start out at $7 an hour, but they can get up to 9 or 10 or $12 an hour. Mm-hmm. They can get up there where they would cross the $27,000 threshold, threshold. And at that point, it no longer pays to it no longer mm-hmm. pays to increase. So we have business people at our church who've said when they've tried to promote somebody who is an hourly minimum wage worker to like a $14 an hour position, they say no. Hmm. Right? Yeah. They know that. Yeah. But the, the my liberal friend is right. They do have it right up to $25,000. They've been doing that. That's that's really good. But these two people are so averse to talking to each other. They don't even have any idea what each other, each other are talking about. Yeah. Right? And if you cannot be captured, somebody like me can now step in and say, hey, can we talk to each other? Mm-hmm. Do you see what's happening here? Mm-hmm. And then they go, oh. Yeah. And maybe you get somewhere and maybe you don't. Mm-hmm. But they they are affected by your character when you do that. Right. Yeah. And in that in that sense, you may not win the political argument. You may not lead them to the to the donkey or the elephant, but they might be led further towards the lamb, mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah. Great. Um, thanks, Nick. Um, if, uh, if you've been listening and um, this topic really interests you and you haven't listened to the Onward sermons up to this point, um, we've, um, you can go to highpointchurch.org slash sermons and look at the Onward series for specific topics related to um, a number of things that we talked about um, in today's podcast, um, the kingdom of God, how we should be living on mission in our culture, human dignity, um, and then how to really live with convictional kindness when we are in these conversations with people. Um, and so, like I said, all these topics are incredibly relevant um, to this, um, to the general um, topic that we've been discussing today. So I encourage you to check those out. Thanks for tuning in with us and have a great day.